Lord, we just come before you. We thank you for this opportunity to look at your word and to, to teach and to listen to what you would have. Lord, you know what's going on with all the people that aren't here and the weather that's causing it, I'm sure. And we just ask you to bless this time and let God, your Holy Spirit guide and lead us. In Jesus' name, amen. Isaiah chapter 26. Left off at verse 6 or verse 5. For he brings down them that dwell on high, the lofty city, he lays it low. He lays it low even to the ground. He brings it even to the dust. The foot shall tread down even the feet of the poor and the steps of the needy. The way of the just are uprightness. You, most upright, do weigh the path of the just. Yea, in the way of your judgments, O Lord, have we waited for you in desire of our soul. The desire of our soul is is to your name and to the remembrance of you. With my soul have I desired you in the night. Yea, with my spirit within me I will seek you early. For when my, your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn rightness, righteousness. Let favor be showed to the wicked, yet will he not learn righteousness. In the land of the uprightness will he deal unjustly, and will not behold the majesty of the Lord. Lord, when your hand is lifted up, they will not see, but they shall see and be ashamed for their envy at, at the people. Yea, the fire of your enemies shall devour them. All right, so we're continuing this, psalm of, this song of praise in the middle of the book of Isaiah. Uh, and he says, you know, in verse 5, you will bring down them that dwell on high in the lofty city, he lays it low. He lays it low even to the ground. He brings it even to the dust. And here's a very interesting thing. He says he brings the, the lofty down. And this is something that more often than not, people get kind of upset. You know, God, why, why do all these people look like things are getting, going their way? You know, they're, they're unrighteous. They're, they're haughty. They're not, they're not following. And yet we look at them and think, that they're getting away with something. And Isaiah saying here, they're going to be brought down. And I've lived long enough that I've seen most everybody eventually brought down. And I know that regardless, they're going to be brought down at the white throne judgment. So we look at this, but in reality, even those people we think that are doing well, one of the things I've learned is usually they're not doing well anyway. They appear to it, they look like it, but emotionally they're not there they're not they're not at peace they're not at, at a calmness and we see this picture and i like using the picture of uh, athletes or or movie stars or rock stars or musicians they all look like they have their whole life put together you know they've got millions of dollars fans i idolize them and then you read about them blowing their brains out or overdosing because of the drugs because their life is not what it looks like and we've got to be careful that we don't look at people and say, hey, they got it all put together, because they probably don't. Even in Christian circles, <laughs> a lot of times people don't have their life put together because they don't really trust God. And I think this is something that's really been pressing in on me lately is, do we truly believe God in his word? You know, are we really saying, God, I'm going to trust you no matter what else the world is pounding on me, you know, am I going to trust you or am I going to trust the world? And they're two different opinions. And it goes for everything. 
how to have fun, how to enjoy life, how to have marriage, you know, how to, how to work. You know, it's amazing me when I'm at work how many people are just trying to get by by doing as little as possible when God says, go out and do, you know, work as unto the Lord. And we see people in marriages and, and families and the way the world runs families and the way God says to run families are so different. And we watch how they, how they operate. You know, and it's an amazing thing to me to watch. I've tried to raise my family by God's standards. I was ra raised pretty much by God's standards. And I look at the people who just try to do it the world's way. And going, wow, what a difference. You know, even though, even if you mess up trying to do it God's way, you're still doing it better than the, what the world is, world is trying to tell you. And it says, God is going to lay them low all the way down to the ground. And I love this. The foot shall tread it down, even the feet of the poor and the steps of the needy. God exalts the, the poor and the needy and says, okay, you get to step all over. Your, your place is better. Where you're at is better than all these people that you thought were so great. And David in the Psalms so often would say, God, you know, why are the, why are the wicked prevailing and, and seeming to prosper? And then he would come to his senses and realize they weren't. <laughs> but, you know, this is something that we deal with so often as we look at people and go, wow, they got it all put together. They've got, they've got it all. And, you know, if we really knew their heart, we would know they didn't have it all. And you know, I've heard people, well, you know, just give me a chance. I would love to, I'd love to have their problems. I'm going, no, you wouldn't. If you, knew, if you knew the real problems they were going through, you wouldn't want their problems. You wouldn't want all their issues. Trust in the Lord and let him guide you and deliver you and keep you above. And then because that's what he says in verse 7, the way of the just is uprightness. You most upright does weigh the path of the judge. Just. You know, so it says the path of the just is uprightness. And this is something for us as Christians. If we're really going to follow God, our path should lead to uprightness and holiness and righteousness. And this is something that is very important for us because God is wanting us to be righteous and holy and, and, and all of that. He knows that we have our sin nature. He knows we're going to have trouble. But he understands also who he, what we were created to be. And even though we've got a uh, fallen nature and we make mistakes, God is not looking at grace as a license to sin. Well, God, I just, you know, you're going to forgive me so I can just go on and do what I want. And I hear lots of Christians talk that way. You know, lots of Christians, well, you know, God's going to forgive me. It really doesn't matter what I do. I'm going, well, you need to grow up a little bit with, for God, you know, because this is a pretty big deal. God does care. Yes, he will forgive you. Yes, he will give you mercy. But there's consequences for your actions. But even beyond the consequences, you're living so far below where God wants you to live. And this is the fun thing is we follow God and we start walking in righteousness. We start walking with him and, and, and the peace that he gives us. We start walking at a much higher level and it's so much fun. I think it's fun to walk with God. You know, myself, I, I, don't, I don't miss out on all the stuff that I'm, you know, the world tells me I'm missing out on. And, you know, you watch these shows and these guys, you know, doing all these stupid things. And it's like, no, I don't, I don't think that was fun. I don't think it's good. And to just walk with God and let him weigh our path and say, okay, yes. And give the blessings for it. 
And this is the wonderful thing when we look at it, it says God is going to weigh our path. And you know, when people try to make this decision, well, you know, well, you, and a lot of times we'll hear it with something like, well, you just have to accept me for who I am. Okay, well, you're right. I just have to accept you for who you are, but God is, going to change, is wanting to change you. You can't just let yourself stay at one spot. And this is very important for us to understand. God is asking us to move, move forward. And he wants to do the work, which is really fun as a Christian. You know, we just let him do the work, and he, he makes us more and more righteous. And I just get to enjoy watching what he does. And I think this is fun because it says here, he will weigh that path. And in verse 8, he repeats it. Yea, the way of, the, of your judgments, O Lord, we have waited for you. The desire of our soul is to your name and to remember and the remembrance of you. you know, the way of judgment is God. And then I love this. It says, we have waited for you. How often do we not wait for God? And we like to do things our way. God, you're just not moving fast enough for me. And God's saying, well, I'm moving at the right speed for you. If you would just let me move you. But I love this statement. The desire of our soul is to your name. The desire of our soul. Is it really the desire of our soul to God? You know, and I spend a lot of time trying to get to this place where my desire is for God. You know, getting into his word, coming to church, being with God's people. The desire. You know, what is our desire? Is our desire stuck in the world? Is our desire stuck in, in vengeful thoughts about others? Is our desire you know, to make others pay? You know, Isaiah says that our desire should be to his name. And that means all of his reputation. Uh, I was talking to somebody today, and he was asking me, you know, how hard is it to really trust God? And I'm going, that depends. I go, if we are reading his word, if we're focused on him, it gets to be a lot easier. If I'm filling my mind with all kinds of garbage from the world, it is hard to desire him and follow him. And this is something I have been really starting to see as I get older. <laughs> You know, is the difference between a godly marriage and a godly family compared to the world's vision of, a, of marriage and family. And you go, wow, what a difference. And it's like night and day. You know, it is like night and day when you get a good Christian worker compared to the person who's working for the world. Now, some Christian workers aren't, are working like the world. <laughs> but, you know, you get somebody who's really saying, I want to apply God's word in each area of their life. And you know, we shine out like a light when we, when we try to do things God's way because we are so different. Christianity is, is really very countercultural in today's world. It is becoming so evil that when we live out Christ, we look like the oddballs. And it is true that we do. You know, when, uh, you know, being married for 38 years, I look at people and you know, people go, well, you, how long, you know, how can you stay together that long? And I'm going, well, we're just beginning. My attitude has always been, we're just beginning. Why? Because I look at other church members who are following God that have been married 60 years and saying, that's my goal. 60, 70 years, that's, that's where I want to be. You know, not surprised that we made it through 10 years, 20 years. So you see, the desires of our soul should be toward God and, and remembering him. And our thought processes have to be his. 
And it really is our thought processes are going to be dependent upon what feeds our thought processes. <laughs> because over the time, it's all a matter of what are we feeding it with? Am I feeding it with television and the world's point of view? Am I feeding it with books? Or just even world, worldly counseling and, counseling and education? You know, are, are we focused on God? And when we focus on God, it's quite interesting because everybody will tell us how crazy we are in the world and you know, how can you be so dumb? And, but you know, we end up with the peace and they end up with the, all the trials and, and, and no peace involved with it. But you know, the desire of God, but the desire of our soul is for him. And then verse nine, with my soul I have desired you in the night, yea, in my spirit within me will I seek you early for when my judgment, when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn rightness, righteousness. You know, my soul desires you at night. And this idea for desire craves. You know, do we crave him? Uh, I wake up sometimes in the middle of the night and usually I just start praying about, you know, because somebody's on my mind. So I start praying for them. Uh, thinking about God. You know, but... Where is our desire? Is our desire on, you know, on his name? Is it is the desire on him? Is he who we want? And I think about this, this idea of desire. So many people in the world, their desire is on wealth and fame and fortune and you know, travel, whatever it might be. Everything is focused on that desire. And all of those things are empty. And if we truly put our entire focus on God, our desire on him to see what it is. And it says, you know, I will seek him early. You know, so he's, my desire during the day is for him. My desire at night is for him. And then I seek him in the morning. When I first wake up, I seek him. And this is something that's very important. Is our desire truly for God? Do we look to have our ways transformed to his ways? You know, Romans uh, 12, you know, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present yourself a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. And God understands that we have a hard time having our minds renewed because we are of the world and we are in the world. So he sees that we have trouble because we're being bombarded with the wrong thoughts all the time. And it takes a conscious effort to fill our mind with God's thoughts and keep them there. Because if we're not careful, it's very easy to end up thinking the way the world does. And I hear it in churches all the time, you know, when, when people get together and you know, well, if that happened to me, I'd do such and such. And it's right straight from the pit of hell what, what they're recommending you know, and counseling somebody, and you're like, uh, maybe we want to think about what God says. <laughs> and, uh, you know, maybe we want to do it God's way. And we hear this a lot of times. Well, if that happened to me, I'd be, I'd be divorcing that person, you know, because that's just the way, you know, because I'm not going to let that happen. Or if that happened to me at work, man, I would, I would be, you know, you know I'm the only one working, I wouldn't work out, you know. And I can remember for a long time, it was the advice to everybody to hire old peop older people because they still had work ethic. Well, that work ethic is dying out because they're getting tired of being used 
and working all the time while the young guys don't do anything. So they're stopping because they're not following God's way. They're just saying, well, if nobody else is working, I'm not working. And that work ethic is going out the window. And we're seeing this over and over again. What is our counsel? What is our thoughts? Do we follow God's ways or do we follow the world's way? And there's a huge difference between the two. And the, you know, and the, mo and the big thing about it is people have to understand that following God is a choice. You know, and we've talked about it at various times. You know, when, when we start following God, bad things start happening to us, or apparently bad things start happening to us to test us, are we gonna continue following God? And people get surprised when these, bad, you know, when these hardships come their way. Well, I just don't understand why all of a sudden everything's going wrong in my life. Everything was going along smoothly. Well, yeah, and then you started moving forward for God and Satan is trying to stop you from moving forward. And it's very important for us to understand when we move forward for God, we're going to become a target. And even if we weren't, God would still make us a target because he wants to test us to say, are you going to really trust me? Satan is trying to stop us and God's saying, are you going to go forward? And it's very important for us. You know, are we going to go forward with God? And trust in him or are we going to fall away and say well it just wasn't worth it and this is something that is very interesting you know, and I've said this over and over if you decide you're, God's teaching you about love he's going to put somebody in your life that's very hard to love if you're trying to learn patience he's going to give you all kinds of trials to see if you're going to be patient if you if he's been working on you to give more money to the to him all of a sudden things are going to happen there's going to make it very difficult to have the faith to give uh, if he's been working on you and being joyful he's going to put you in places where joy does not seem to be the answer and he's going to say are you going to follow me or you is are you going to fall back to the world and you know the thing about it is if we expect it i think it's a lot easier and I think when I was younger, I didn't really expect it. I was naive like everybody. Oh, I'm following God. Everything's supposed to be good. Well, I've learned over the years by reading the Bible, no, when I step out with God, he's going to test it, number one. But also, Satan isn't going to like it. You know, Satan doesn't like Christians, period. But if they're, all they're going to do is sit on their butt in the, in the, on the pew, he doesn't really care if they're a Christian. Now, if they get out and they start passing out tracts and they start giving money to the church and they start living a life of Christ, that starts bothering them because all of a sudden they make an impact for, for God and he's going to try to stop them. And God lets him. <laughs> you know, and that's the hard part, that God lets him do these things to test us. Because God's saying, okay, are you going to persevere? He wants perseverance in following of him and not just falling away every time we turn around. And uh, here we, we see this. He goes, you know, that God will show his, when his judgments are shown to the world, the world will learn righteousness. And this is kind of an interesting statement because I'm not sure exactly what this is because I think it's talking about the millennial kingdom that they will learn righteousness. And there's been periods in time where God has stepped up and the, and the church has taken a position and, and God has been praised and, and, and honored. Uh, our country started out with the right foundation and he, God was honored and praised and not everybody was a Christian but 
righteousness ruled over, over the world. And there's been times on this, but God will show the world and teach them righteousness through his people's obedience. And then the sad thing is, uh, verse 10, let favor be showed to the wicked, yet he will not learn righteousness. In the land of uprightness, he will deal unjustly and will not behold the majesty of the Lord. Those who want to be wicked are going to be wicked no matter what. Uh, they get favor or mercy. You know, if mercy is shown to the wicked, they will not learn righteousness from it. And this is something that is distressing to Christians at times when they try to show God's love to people and their mercy and have it thrown back at them and abused. And yet God says that's exactly what they're going to do. And in the millennial kingdom, we know that that's what's going to happen. A thousand-year reign with mercy and justice, and yet man is going to rebel at the end of the thousand-year reign. What a sad state that we can think of. You know, and it's hard for me to picture. God gives them a perfect environment, but that's because I love him so much. I go, I would love to be in a perfect environment. <laughs> and yet... The unrighteous are just chomping at the bit for the opportunity to be unrighteous. And this is something that we see over and over. And this is what our world is teaching in the schools. Well, if we just had a utopia out there and everything was just good, nobody would be bad. God's millennial kingdom is going to be set up for just that purpose. Let us show you that, okay, I'm going to give you a thousand years of perfection, no bad, and people are still going to rebel. And Everything that man comes up with, God says, no, you're, what you're saying is wrong. You're, our peace comes from surrender to God. And the less we try to fight with God, the more peace and joy we have. When we try to fight with him or try to understand, try to, try to put together two opposing ways of thinking. God, I want to think your thoughts, but you know, wow, these things of the flesh just keep popping into my head. Uh, one problem, if you try to put two different uh, operating systems on a computer, that never works. We as human beings have two opposing operating systems. We've got God's thoughts and the world's thoughts. And we really need to get rid of the world's thoughts, let God get them completely out and think his thoughts. Because when we get into trouble is when we let the world come along and overwhelm God's thoughts. And we get into all kinds of trouble. You know, that's when we make dumb decisions. That's when we say things we shouldn't say or do things we shouldn't do. And God is saying, the, the wicked are not going to learn. They're not going to learn righteousness. Why? Because it takes him coming in and crucifying our flesh. Why can we walk with God? Is because he's come in. He's come in and lived with us, and he says, okay, now I sit on the throne, and we're going to eliminate everything else. It may, it's going to take him years and decades to get it out of us completely, but he starts saying, this is crucified. This is crucified. And the great news about it is he allows us to decide to do it. I love that God does not just come in and say, you are going to do this my way. You know, he, over my lifetime, he's basically said, are you ready to give this up? And usually, especially when I was younger, it was like, no, <laughs> no. I'm getting better. I'm usually faster now at saying yes. I still say no as much as anybody else does. 
But you know, God is such a gentleman that he comes in and says, we're going to change this. You've asked me in, let's, let's change it. And this is his leadership. He leads through gentle, loving kindness. He doesn't sit there and beat us over the head with an iron bar until we submit. He says, I love you and I'm going, to, I'm going to be patient enough to wait. And can you imagine how frustrating that is to God sometimes when we keep saying no? And he goes, don't you understand? I'm, I have the best plan for you. Well, no, God, I really like this. I like doing what I'm doing. You know, and I've been through it on several occasions, you know, not giving up something that I thought was so wonderful. It may not even be sin. It's just something that took away time from God. Uh, the one that I'm reminded most of is when I finally gave up sports. Nothing sinful about watching sports, except when you watched it as much as I did, and you weren't spending as much time with God. And you know, it's like, when I finally gave it up, it's like, wow, God, your Bible's wonderful. Spending time with you is really good. Now, I love spending time with God even before, but all of a sudden I gained, you know, 15, 20 hours a week because I wasn't spending all the time watching sports. And now I could spend time with God. And God's very patient saying, are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? I really have a good plan for you if you just... You know. But so often we reject God's plan because we don't want to give up whatever it is. Sometimes it's sin. Sometimes it's not sin. Sometimes it's just something that God says, well, it's not really what I want you to do. And the problem we have as Christians is so often we give up the best for something that's just good. And, you know, and the good is probably better than, than the alternative of, of not good. But God says, I've got so much more planned for you. I have greater plans for you to, than anything. I, I heard on the radio one time, somebody was talking about, you know, they're getting ready to take their, their, their kids to, to uh, Disneyland and the kids were busy playing in, the, playing in the yard. And they were having so much fun, they didn't want to, to go anywhere. You know, they didn't understand, somehow they didn't understand, they were going to the amusement park. You know, and yet, how often do we do that with God? God says, I've got a really great adventure for you over here. Oh, God, I'm having a lot of fun right here. I'm, I'm having fun making mud pies. You know, I don't care what you have in store for me. And God said, I have a feast over here, a real feast. Well, God, yeah, I'm just having a lot of fun over here. Let me just play in the dirt for a while. And God's saying, come. <laughs> you know, and we tend to do this so frequently, reject the best because we're enjoying wherever we're at. And like I'm saying, sometimes it's not even sin. I've seen people get so busy in churches doing good things that they don't do what God asked them to do. He says, I want you to do this. And I oh, know, God, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm busy teaching Sunday school and working in the food ministry and being a deacon and doing this and doing that. And I'm in the choir. And God, I'm just too busy to add anything more. And God says, well, get rid of the rest of the stuff. Come do what I want you to do. You know, and we get stuck oftentimes doing lots of good things, not necessarily even sinful things. And this is something we have to understand as Christians. What is it that God's asking us to do and do that? For anybody who listens to this, we're having minor power outages messing up this tape recording, so who knows what's going to happen. Uh, this movie I was watching the other day, you know, this person being Supermom, you know, and it's, it, it can only last so long. She was doing lots of good things, but 
someplace different priorities have to be made. And we have to be careful that we're not trying to be Superman, <laughs> Superwoman, trying to get everything done for God. God really doesn't need our help. He just lets us help him. Because you know, he can do everything he wants without our help. He could, he could manage to just say, okay, <laughs> you know, who needs you? I've got angels. I've got myself. But he allows us to be able to help him. And too often, we try to do everything. Oh, God, you know, without me, you just couldn't get things done. Uh, well, okay, you know, God's saying, I wish you would get your right attitude put together. And yet, that's the way of the world. You know, we have to do everything. And our surrender to God is so wonderful because God says, I get, you know, I'm going to let you help me. I want you to help me. I've oftentimes wondered, why did God create man? You know, because the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit had plenty of com company for eternity. They didn't need anybody. They were complete. They didn't need anything. Uh, created angels for whatever reason. You know, so he has lots of other servants that he didn't, didn't need. You know, there's something about him that wants to be creative and expand fellowship, apparently. And then he creates man. And he creates man knowing that we were going to sin. You know, did he know that when he created, you know, and he knew when he created the angels that Lucifer and a third of the angels were going to sin? What else is out there that he knows that we know nothing about? I don't know. But it just seems that God is saying, I want to love others. And he gives these, these individuals the opportunity to love him back. And or to not love him back, as the case might be. And when you give somebody that kind of freedom, there's going to be times when you get hurt. Uh, that's the vulnerability when we try to, to end up dating somebody or, or going out with somebody is, is like, you know, I like this person, do they like me? You know, and you open yourself up and they may or may not. <laughs> and God's saying to us, I love you. Will you choose me? And yet he knows that many will not choose him. He loves us so much that he sent Jesus to die for us so that we could be able to spend eternity with him. And the biggest problem, I think, for humanity is most people do not understand eternity. Don't even comprehend or even think about eternity. Uh, atheists all believe, well, this is all there is. Just my, my 80, 100 years on this world and then... I'm gone and become worm food and my life is over. What a sad way to, to live. You know, to, to not know, not to have any hope for, for life. You know, okay, I'm just going to be as smart as I can for, for my years and maybe I'll do something that somebody will remember for a short period of time. Uh, and, you know, because unless you do something really superb, you're usually forgotten. A couple hundred years, maybe even your family you'll be remembered, you know, for a couple generations. Uh, if you really become famous, you might be known, you know, for one or two acts. We look at somebody like all the great pharaohs, you know. If you really study it, you might know their names. Uh, but for the most part, nobody knows what any one pharaoh did unless it, unless that becomes your area of expertise. You know, let's, let's make it even closer for Americans, the Civil War. We might know a couple of generals' names, but what battles did they fight in? How, how did they lead? What kind of person were they? You know, that was only 
you know, a little over 150 years ago or so, you know, and it's not that far back, and yet they're not remembered that well. You know, we look at this and say, our life is short, and if all we have is what we do in this world to look forward to, it's a total waste. There's just nothing to it. And God says there's an eternity out there. You get to spend it with him, or you get to spend it in hell away from him. And that is a serious thought to consider. You know, either with God for eternity, wonderful. Or away from him, terrible. To the uttermost terrible. Because in this world, as bad as this world is, we've got God. And it's been said, and I, and I fully agree with it, for the person who's headed to hell, this life is as close to heaven as they're ever going to get, which is sad. And for us that are going to heaven because we've accepted Jesus Christ, this is as close to hell as we're going to get, which is good, but it's a terrible comparison because this world is not hell. This world has God in it. This world has good in it. Hell has no good in it and no pleasure in it. And you know, we need to be very much aware of what is going to happen as we go forward on this. And then he says that the wicked do not learn righteousness in the land of the uprightness, and they will deal unjustly and not behold the majesty of God. And this is why I really think they're talking about the millennial kingdom. During the millennial kingdom, they're not going to learn uprightness, and they're going to deal unjustly, and they won't behold God. One of the greatest things is to turn and behold God as best we can in this, in this lifetime. You know, I love getting into God's presence. I love when the Spirit comes upon us so strongly and you just know that you're in His presence. And you know that life is different than it was. And it's an amazing thing. And there's been occasions where in the middle of worship that I almost just seem to leave here and enter into God's presence for doesn't not very long, and it's not very long because not much words have gone in, but just for a moment, leave and enter into his presence. And it's a wonderful experience. It doesn't happen a lot. But you know, we have had it happen when I've been studying at times. You know, wow God, just wonderful. You know, you're just you're dwelling upon him, you're in, you're focused on him. And all of a sudden, everything else just melts away for just a few seconds. <laughs> and you enter into a realm with him. Isaiah in chapter 6 said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his glory filled the temple, and his train filled his temple. And the angels cried, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God most high. How long did that experience take? I don't know, but probably not long. You know, Paul said that he entered into heaven and he saw things that he was not able to, to speak about. You know, and we believe that that happened when he was, was stoned and crushed under the rocks and had died and was resurrected. So he literally had gone there. Uh, John got to see heaven in the book of Revelation and told us what he saw. What do we see? How do we feel when we really enter into God's presence, even for just seconds at a time? You know, the, the, the glimpses that I've had just make me long for the day that I get to go in his presence and stay. You know, and it's just so wonderful. And I think about that 
you know, and I, and you know, I agree with Paul. You know, Paul said that I long to be in heaven, but it's better for me to be with you, you know, the churches. And I'm in that same place. You know, I really want to go to heaven, but as long as God's got something for me to do in this world to to help feed people, to teach them about God, I want to be here. But the day that that's not going to happen, I want to go to heaven, and I want it to be, you know, as quick as possible. God, just take me. Be in your presence. I, I love being in his presence. I love when the Holy Spirit falls upon us and, and just takes us into his presence for a you know, few, few seconds, few minutes, whatever it might be, and go, God, just glimpses. Just glimpses of what you have for us. And wow. You know, and the world doesn't understand it. You know, one thing about it, if the world was all to go to heaven... You know, and there's a lot of people say, well, we'll just all go to heaven. God loves us so much. Well, no, if you're not into worshiping God and wanting to follow God, heaven would not be heaven for you. you know, to be in God's presence without wanting to be there is not going to be heaven. It would be, hell would be, heaven would become hell in one sense, you know, because you're not, you know, you didn't, you're, you're seeing somebody you didn't want to spend time with. So God says, okay, you wanted what you wanted. I'm going to send you away from me. You're not going to want it. It's not going to be what you thought it was. But putting you with me when you don't want to be isn't going to be good either. And, you know, I just look forward to it. I look forward to being able to worship God. Maybe being studying at his feet. You know, God, you just tell me. I'm just looking forward for you to teach me directly. And the Holy Spirit already does, so I've, I've got that glimpse. You know, getting in and just worshiping Him. You know, it's going to be wonderful, and yet that's just a small part of what heaven's going to be when we look at the Word of God and we see a new heaven and a new earth and, and work that needs to be done and all these things that are going to be happening. And we go, wow, God, what is, what is it that you've got in store for us? You know, and, I've, and I've been very fortunate. Most of the jobs I've had, I've liked at least at the beginning. You know, they've been really good jobs. I've enjoyed them. You know, can you imagine having the perfect job for all of eternity? You know, it's been said that if you have, the, have a job you love, you never go to work, and I, I experience that at times. You know, there's just jobs I've had where it's just not, you know, you don't feel like you're working. You're just enjoying doing it. Being a pastor is one of those, you know, I just enjoy doing it so much. It's, it's not work to come here. Yes, it's time consuming and sometimes it gets, you know, there's bits and pieces of it that's not, you know, but his work is going to the pr prison for, for eight hours a day. That's work. You know, and it's because I don't have any desire to do it. It's just there to make money to live on so that I can be a pastor and have my family. But, you know, I've had those times when I've had jobs that I just enjoyed. It was not like going to work. And, you know, Spending eternity at a job where you're not working, you know, where you're not feeling like you're working because you're just enjoying doing it, and God's going to be able to put the perfect job for us. It's like, wow, God, you, you made this job just for me? You know, this job? <laughs> God, this isn't even a job. I get to go have fun for all of eternity. And whatever that might be. I'm hoping that it's teaching for eternity, but... <laughs> because I enjoy teaching so much, but who knows what God, God knows what it is that I'm perfectly suited for. And he knows what each one of us is perfectly suited for. And for eternity in heaven, he's got a job for us to do that's going to be the perfect job.
you know, Adam and Eve, tend, tend that garden, fix that garden. God, nothing dies here. Well, go ahead and just tend it. You know, add, add a tree wherever you want it. Expand it. Make it bigger. Uh, you know, help, help keep it up. Verse 11, Lord, when your hand is lifted up, they will not see, but they shall see and be ashamed for their envy at, at the people. Yea, the fire of your enemies shall devour them. It says God lifts up his hands and the wicked don't notice. You know, they don't notice that his hand is up for, for peace or to, to even beckon them. And they reject it. They don't see. And they will be ashamed for their envy at the people. And this is something that, is, that I see over and over. The world, as harsh as they are to Christians a lot of times, will have this desire. I wish, I, I don't know what it is they have, but I want what they have. And yet they will be hard on the Christian to try to see if it's real. They, you know, they want to make sure, is what they say real? Do they really love? Do they care? Do they, you know, are they really different? And it brings shame to them as it draws them to God, or usually pushes them away, but it's supposed to be drawing them too. But, you know, they look at it and they go, I don't know what it is. I think I want it, but I'm not sure that I want it. And most Christians back off when they're challenged. And this is why I say to people all the time, we need to be bold enough to step up and speak out for God. When somebody tells us something like, well, you know, I believe in the Bible except for all those contradictions. Well, number one, most of them have never read the Bible. They don't know what contradictions they're talking about. They've just been told there's contradictions in there. So we need to be able to go, what contradictions are you talking Oh, there's lots of them. No, give me a specific one. Let's look at a contradiction that you have. Well, you know, there's just lots of them. No, right? what, what specific one are you talking about? You know, most people, when they will make comments about the Bible, have never read the Bible. Well, you know, I just can't believe a book like that. You know, it's just, okay, what part of it is in, are you having trouble believing? Let's, let's look at the parts. But we as Christians sometimes back off so easy. And it's not being, I'm not saying be nasty and mean about it, but challenge. You know, what, is it that, what is it that you find a problem with, with God's word? Well, you know, you guys are just so narrow. You're saying that Jesus is the only way. And what's your problem with that? Well, you know, and, you know, and try to draw them out. Well, what is the problem with Jesus being the only way? Yeah. I have no problem with it, but what, 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 what exactly is your problem with that? Well, you know, and they'll give you all kinds of things, and you listen to them, and you'll be able to respond to them. But, you know, I, I love it, you know, because Jesus is the only way to heaven because he says he is. And all the other ways don't lead to him because they don't lead to a loving God. They lead to very interesting things usually. But, you know, if you go to an airport and you get on a random airplane thinking you're going to let's say Hawaii, and you just get on a random airplane at the airport, you're probably not going to end up in Hawaii. No matter how strongly you believe that, you know, you're not going to end up there. You know, if you just randomly get one. You know, if you purpose to get on the right plane, yes, but that's a different story altogether. Yeah. But we look at this, the world looks at Christians. And, you know, I know there's people that say, well, no, nobody's ever looking at me. Well, have you shared that you're a Christian? If you've shared you're a Christian, people are looking at you. And you probably aren't being a good enough witness for them to 
come up and talk to you if you're, if you're not, if you're thinking nobody's looking at you. And there's all kinds of the stories. Uh, the dad walking along doing things and all of a sudden feels his son's hand in his hand and not realizing that his son was right there watching how they lived. You know. But people are looking at this. How do we live? When we're under pressure, do we buckle like the world or do we turn to God and, and look for the support of God? And the world is looking at us. And when they see people that are truly Christians, it impresses. I've heard people talking off on the side. Well, you know, so-and-so seems to really, they're different. I don't know, I don't know if I can be like them, but, you know. And you realize they're talking about a Christian. They're Christians who put their hand in God and say, God, I'm just going to, you know. And we fail, yes, we fail, but we get back up and God holds us. And, and they know that overall we're different. We have peace, we have love, we have joy when we're truly following God. And that comes from having our mind totally changed and washed and, and fed by the word and not living the world's way. The world knows that their way doesn't work. They really do. Now they'll bluster and, and all that about, you know, about it, but they understand that their way is not working. These people that get wrapped up in alcohol and drugs and, and sexual activity and everything, they know that it's all empty. They may try to make it sound good and make, the, you know, make a joke out of it, but they know it's empty. And they're looking for something that's not empty. And Christians need to be able to show them that we're filled with God's love and it's not empty. And this is the challenge for us as Christians. Am I living a lifestyle that shows people that God is real? Or am I living a lifestyle that says, well, I just have, you know, emptiness like you do. And the world is looking at us. They want something. Pascal said that everybody has a God-shaped hole or vacuum in their, in their life, and that only God can fill it. And they're looking. The world wants to fill that vacuum. They fill it with fame. They fill it with money. They fill it with prestige. They fill it with stuff. And it never gets filled because only God can fill that place. And that's the great news is when we have God in our life, everything is so special and, and much smoother as we go forward with him and watch what he does. And we're going to end here. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity just to, to look at you and seek you, God, or you our desire, and to follow after you to, to be our, the desire of our heart. And let others see that you're our desire and that you fulfill that desire. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.